You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. John chapter 8, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And as uh, we have been walking through this book, if you've been here with us from the beginning, you know that to be the purpose statement of John's gospel. I am so thankful this morning that we can celebrate that someone has come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? We can celebrate together that this faith in Christ and faith in his name, uh, that Wyatt today has life. I pray that Wyatt's example before you does two things for you. I, I pray that his testimony and the, the word of God this morning stirs you. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for you, that you would repent of your sins and trust in Christ this is our plea to all of our guests that are joining us online as well. It is our greatest desire that the lost come to know Jesus Christ. The second thing that I hope that it will do in you, and that is the purpose of this gospel as well, and that is to remind us that we're to be busy about proclaiming the gospel. It is our first responsibility to do that in our homes, so we praise God for the Harrison family, and it is our responsibility to do that throughout our community and to the ends of the earth. So, if you know someone today that does not know Jesus, honor the testimony of now our brother and go today this afternoon and tell them the gospel and call them to believe because Jesus is the only way anyone can be saved. Amen, church? So that is the aim of our study. We come now to the middle of John's gospel as we began this John chapter 8 last week and we're going to continue to walk through together what it means for Christ to be the Son of God, and what real faith really is. So if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look to John chapter 8 and verse 31, reading now through verse 38. The Bible says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word 
finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Lord Jesus, we pray now that even as we come to your Word, God, as the Gospel has been celebrated both in testimony and in song, we ask now that you, Holy Spirit, would attend the preaching of the Gospel from your Word. And that as we hear the truth about what it means to believe in Jesus, that we as your people, Christ followers in this room, that we would be renewed in the gospel. That we would be renewed in our worship, that we would be renewed in our obedience to your great mission. That we would not stop until every person on the planet has heard the gospel and been been called to believe upon Christ. And then, Lord, I pray that if someone is here in this place and who is lost in sin, who is enslaved to sin as Your Word describes here, that You would set them free this very morning. That the chains of sin would fall all because of what Christ has done. So God, make it so for the sake of Your name and Your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So last week, we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And if you were with us, you know that Jesus is here at the Temple Mount at the Feast of Booths. And He has just proclaimed some of the most powerful words uh, that we've seen so far in the Gospel of John. What it means for Jesus to be light, the light of the world in a dark world a place that is filled only with sin and rebellion against God. And Jesus comes and He pierces the dark with His own presence and with the Gospel message and with the reality that He's going to die and be raised again. And He has just proclaimed this in the middle of the temple there in Jerusalem. The best news in all of the world. The good news of the Gospel. And here... He comes to a place where he has to respond to those who believe the words that he was preaching. Or at least it seems at face value at the beginning that they did believe. In fact, that's where we left off in verse 30 last week. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And he moves from dealing with this idea of being the light of the world to dealing with this concept of freedom. It's an idea that we toss around a lot in our country about what it means to be free. And I'm thankful, aren't you? Aren't you thankful this morning that we do live in a free nation where we can, by and large, worship God without any kind of persecution or any kind of resistance, mainly? Aren't you glad of that this morning? And yet we perhaps aren't completely aware of what it means to be truly free. Jesus ultimately is the one who sets us free in the gospel. Freedom is not ultimately paid for by the blood of soldiers. Freedom, real freedom, is ultimately paid for by the blood of the Lamb. The only way to know real freedom in this life, as much as we love our country and as much as we enjoy the freedoms that were paid for with valuable blood, The blood of Jesus is priceless. It is worth far more than anything we could ever describe. And Jesus has bought our spiritual freedom with His very blood. 
a freedom that frees us not just politically, but a freedom that frees us spiritually. We have been set free. If you are here this morning and you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have been set free from your sin. Praise God. And we are free now to worship God, not in in fear of His wrath, but in love for Him as Father, all because of what the Son of God did. So in a word this morning, the Gospel is true, and in Jesus we are free indeed. It's not a false freedom. It's not something that has the guise of freedom that suddenly will be ripped out from underneath us at any moment. No, this freedom is absolutely 100% on the very faithfulness of God secured never to go away. It is freedom indeed. But this truth, the fact that we're free indeed in Christ, is not the primary argument of this text. In fact, it's actually the outcome or the end of the argument of this text. The Son will set you free if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be free indeed, but that's not the end of the argument. What is, or that is the end of the argument, what's the beginning of the argument? What is it that Jesus is after? What's the heart of His message here when it comes to freedom? Well, in order to know that, we need to begin at the very beginning. When it is said that these Jews believed in him, Jesus responds to their seeming belief with a very clear caution. He says, you believe in me? You want to follow after me? Here is what I want you to understand about being my disciple. He says, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The word abide here is interesting because it's a favorite word of John throughout this gospel and even really into his first letter. The word abide means to continue in or not to fall back from, to remain in. Jesus is saying, if, if you remain in my word, if you hold on to my word, then you'll be my disciple. He's already used this kind of language once, if you'll remember back from John chapter 6. And it was a very interesting statement then. We won't take the time to explain it this morning, but hear the language. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Jesus is proclaiming this new covenant message and he says if you are in the new covenant in essence, then you are the one who abides in me and I abide in you. There's the abide language. Or when we get to John chapter 15, I love John 15. If this is one you've read before, you no doubt this will be one of your favorites as well, but Jesus talked about being the vine and the branches and he talked about union with him and in this union with Christ and being united to the vine then we are told to abide in him if you abide in me I will abide in you this picture of bearing fruit in John chapter 15 you see the the call of Jesus to be his disciple is not a one-time event in your life the call of following Jesus is an ongoing 
not retreating from, not falling back from, continuing in kind of faith. In particular, Jesus says here in John 8, it's continuing in the Word. The Word of Christ. If you abide in My Word, and Jesus, as we go on to see the rest of His teaching, will know that this is all Scripture. Not just the red letters in the Gospels. But all that Jesus, by His Word, from Genesis to Revelation, has taught us and has spoken to us. All of those things, if we abide in His Word, then we are His disciples, Jesus says. So the idea here then is to continue in His Word and not turn away from His Word. And the statement is conditional. If, if you abide in My Word, then you will be My disciples, truly My disciples. In other words, Jesus is drawing a line of distinction. There is a way to walk in His Word, or a way to be His disciple, and a way not to be His disciple. And the way that you are His disciple is by walking in His Word. Now, this does not mean that if you suddenly turn away from His Word that you lose your salvation. It's not what Jesus is teaching. No, what Jesus is teaching is that if you turn away from God's Word, ultimately walk away, it means that you were never ultimately saved to begin with. It's a, it's a proof, it's a fruit of salvation, not the ultimate root of salvation. So, for example, Jesus said this in other places. John chapter 5 Verse 37, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. He's describing people who do not know him. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. To reject the word of Christ is to reject Christ altogether. Or First John. John writes later in his letter, verse chapter 2 and verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. Test yourself. Listen, church. Test yourself by these words. By this we, have come, we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, does not, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him, or we abide in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he walked. And of course, our text. In our text, they claim to know God. And yet, Jesus says in verse 37, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. This is very different than the gospel that you might have heard in the past that says all you have to do is believe upon Jesus and say a prayer and be baptized and you're saved. The gospel is not built on a one-time event in your life. The gospel is built on the work of God in your heart to cause you to be born again and to be made into a new creation such that you continue in the faith. That's the biblical picture of Christianity. 
You might remember the story that Jesus told or the illustration that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 4. Do you remember when Jesus was telling about the word being spread and he talked about the word as as seed, right? Some, Some soil fell on one particular kind of soil or another, or some seed rather fell on one particular soil or another, and, and some of it got, got choked out, eaten by the birds. Some of it, some of it came to, to bloom, but eventually, when the sun came out, it scorched it because it didn't have deep roots. But the seed that fell on good soil, it became planted, and it grew, and it produced fruit. This is what it means to be a Christian. So if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples, truly. But Jesus then takes that concept and he connects it back to this idea of freedom. In fact, the rest of the text builds that idea. That's the logic. It's not just about initial freedom when you come to Christ. It's about a continuing experience of freedom in the Christian life. And a freedom, listen now, that results from abiding in the Word. That's the argument. If you abide in my Word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Abide in my Word, you're my disciple. And you're going to know the truth by doing that, by abiding in my Word. And you will know freedom. It is a truth that sets you free. So here is what Jesus is teaching us in relationship to our real freedom and the truth of his word. True believers experience real freedom by continuing in the truth of Jesus' word. If you're a believer in this room this morning, know this. That the freedom that you have in Christ was not a one-time thing where Jesus simply set you free from hell. But there is a continuing freedom that is yours in Christ. And it comes through the truth of His Word. Yes, it is initial. Yes, Jesus sets us free from the penalty of our sin. Praise God for that. Amen, church? But that is not all. That is only a half gospel. Because Jesus not only does that, but when we're born again, He begins a work in us through which He is setting us free moment by moment, day by day, from every sin and weight that so easily ensnares us. And this is the Gospel. We have a Savior who both fulfills, meets the demand of the law for us, satisfies its penalty, and ultimately saves us from the life that we chose over Him. Praise God for the Gospel. Jesus is continuing to set us free by His Word. Believer, you will experience, as you believe upon Christ and you follow His Word, you will experience real freedom from pride by continuing in His Word. You will experience real freedom from lust as you continue in His Word. You'll experience real freedom from unforgiveness as you continue in His Word. From envy by continuing. From greed as you every day feast upon God's Word. He will free you from greed and materialism. From idolatry. All of the false worship that we are prone toward. 
our worship and our hearts' affections will be drawn to Christ as we continue in His Word. From addiction. Things that overtake you both mentally, emotionally, as well as chemically that you don't even understand. His Word will free you from. Selfishness, His Word will free you from. Gossip, His Word will free you from it. Dishonesty, His Word will free you. Anxiety, His Word will free you. Amen? Fear, His Word will free you. Anger and bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, His Word will free you. Depression, His Word will free you. Doubt, His Word will free you. Guilt and shame, His Word will free you. Not only is His Word true and authoritative, but it is altogether sufficient for the healing of the saints. Jesus Christ will free you indeed. And it is really true. It's not a guise that ultimately goes away. It is a healing balm that frees us and heals us for all of eternity. Even as I say those words, I feel the grip on my own heart. I know that you do. I feel the grip on my own heart of this persistent temptation and and burden of sin that we face every single day. I feel the very carnality in my heart. I feel the very tendency towards sin. I feel this grip. This is what we all must feel, especially as Christians. We come to this place where we come face to face with the reality of what sin has on us. And we plead every day for the power of God's Holy Spirit to renew us in His Word and to free us from these things. But that's not a bad thing. In fact, this is the very starting point of freedom. I think sometimes we get the idea that our freedom comes when we suppress all that is really true in our hearts and we hide it from everyone else so that no one sees it. But the beginning point of our freedom is that we really feel sin's grip. That we know what it's like to face these things. Well, that's where we find this group that Jesus is talking to. But they don't respond so favorably. In fact, what they say is, I'm not a slave at all. Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm in control of my own life. I'm in control of my emotions, my actions. I make the choices that I do. I've never been a slave to anyone. In fact, Jesus, I'll have you know that I'm, a, I'm an offspring of Abraham. I'm a chosen person of God. I, I don't act in the ways that you're describing. I'm no slave to anyone. I've never been a slave to anyone at all. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus, how can you make this claim? Now, don't miss this. They were actually wrong altogether. Of course, they were wrong spiritually, but they're actually wrong physically. Think about this for a moment. You're the offspring of Abraham. You began at Abraham as a slave. Think about this. Lot chooses a land for himself, gives gives himself over to this sinful land and actually becomes somewhat enslaved to the wickedness of the land and has to be rescued from it and only God could do it. Think about the the sons of, 
uh, uh, Joseph's brothers, rather. Think about Joseph's brothers who sell him into slavery. And then famine hits the land, right? And they end up in slavery themselves, slavery to this need for food. And God actually rescues them through Joseph. They get into the land. Everything's well and good, and they end up in slavery. Why? Because of the sinfulness and wickedness of the Pharaoh. And on and on and on, all the way up until the time of Jesus, you get to this very text. And whether they want to admit it or not, they're enslaved to Rome politically. They want power. And in order to keep their power, they've got to keep Rome happy. The fact is they've always been enslaved to someone. So they are wrong physically. But the truth is, in all of those things, they have been slaves spiritually. Because by choosing rebellion against God, they have put themselves in enmity with God and ultimately become slaved to their sin. And their pride, they don't even feel the weight of sin upon their soul. And I say to you that the same might be true of you this morning. That in your pride, in your self-sufficiency, that you may be digging your heels in against a holy God. Friend, it is not a place of just simple rebellion or autonomy. It is a place of slavery. For some of you, your pride rises up just like them. You say, there's no way I can be enslaved to anyone. And here's why. Because coming to Jesus would mean you would have to admit you don't even have control of your own life. You want autonomy. You you don't want God telling you what to do or anyone else for that matter. That's what freedom means for you. It means personal autonomy. Free from any outside control or authority, including God. And on the surface, that seems real. On the surface, that seems like real freedom. It appears to be. But Jesus makes plain that this is not freedom at all. Because the beginning point of spiritual freedom is feeling the grip of sin. You need to know that you are not free this morning if you do not know Christ. And we need to be reminded of what it means to be in sin's grip so that as we taste freedom that Christ provides, we are driven to obedience and worship. So, I want you to feel it with me here in this passage. There are three ways... That Jesus describes these, uh, this condition to these Jews. Number one, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We've not been enslaved to anyone, ever. Jesus says, oh no, you're wrong. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We don't sin because we made a few mistakes. We don't sin because we're basically good people and we made a few bad judgment calls. We don't sin because we are in a particular environment, maybe like Sodom and Gomorrah, and all these influences around us, we just simply, just simply give way to the temptation. We sin precisely because we are enslaved to our sin. 
Romans 6. Listen to what Paul writes. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And then he puts it into two categories. He says, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. You and I in this room, every one of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this room that is without sin. And the Bible says that if we practice sin, we're not simply a sinner, we're actually bound in our sin. We're in sinful chains. As we sang about this morning, our chains being broken, the one who is the chain breaker. We are in chains to our sin, enslaved by its power and to its penalty. Its eternal grip is on our soul in such a way that we can do nothing about the condition that we find ourselves in by nature. Now, we hear this word slave in our country with our history, and we think victim, don't we? Now, I am not at all making any statements about the history of slavery in our nation, but this is just our way of thinking. We think slave and we think oppressed. We think someone's mistreating them. We think that they're in this position and they can't help the position that they're in. But this is not the word in the text. It is the Greek word doulos, which is the word bondservant. And if you know anything about the Greek language or about this word, you'll know that a bondservant is not simply one who's enslaved to something. They're enslaved to someone or something by their choice. You see, they had the opportunity for freedom and they put freedom aside because they would rather be enslaved to the, to the master. They found that to be a better life than to be enslaved to, or to not be enslaved, to be free from it. And this is exactly who Jesus says that they are. If you practice sin, you are enslaved to it. But it's not because you're a victim, because it's not your fault, because you somehow got, a, got dealt a bad hand or didn't have the same opportunity as anyone else. The reason you're enslaved to sin is because you chose it. You and I chose rebellion against God and therefore became slaves, willfully bound to its power over us because we love it. And Jesus says, if you practice sin, you're not simply a sinner. You are a slave to the sin. We use the phrase, you made your bed. You can complete it. Now lie in it, right? This is in essence... What Jesus has said, you made the choice and this is where you are. The slavery of sin, we're shackled to it and we are not the victim. We're the perpetrator because you and I have rebelled against God and the slavery of sin has taken over our life. And this is the human condition, not just of one person or the worst person but even the best of people on the planet. Everyone who sins and all have sinned are slaves 
to sin. Worse yet, if somebody doesn't do something about it, there will be no freedom for us. We will be slaves forever. And not only just under this slavery of sin, but under divine judgment. So Jesus says, you think you're the offspring of Abraham, but what good is that if you're the slave of sin? But that leads to the second thing that Jesus says in verse 35. He says, because it's not just about this life, it's not just about misery here. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So number two, the slave of sin is not a son of God. Slave of sin is not a son of God. Their argument was that they're the offspring of Abraham, meaning that we have by our blood some right, some claim to heaven, some claim to knowing God. And Jesus goes right after that argument. You have no claim to knowing God. You have no inheritance in the kingdom because as slaves of sin, you do not remain in the house forever. The son, a son only, remains in the house forever. And a slave of sin cannot also simultaneously be a son of God. Jesus says, no, you're not. You're not in the family. And why? Because you do not obey my word. If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Jesus says, that's not you. You've rejected my word. And so you are enslaved to your sin, and a slave does not remain in the house forever. He doesn't have an inheritance. A slave can't even be in the house of God. He's cast out. The slave's not a son. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The, the final ending of that story has a very important message for those who would be self-righteous and think that they deserve a place. But there is a message in the story for the younger, more rebellious son. You remember he demanded his father's inheritance, what, what was owed to him. And he took what was owed to him and he left the house of his father and he chose to no longer live in the house as a son, but rather to party and spend it all and end up in the pigs and spend life in the slop until he got to the place where he says, you know, I'm going to go back to the father's house. But he knew in his rebellion that he could not go back to the father's house as a son. He must only go back to the father's house as a slave. And slaves are not sons. This is the picture here in John chapter 8. Think of this in an even clearer way. Imagine that one of the people that the son had been with in his party life, who never even knew his father, came back and demanded to be a son, and yet holding on to the life that they knew. It's crazy. It's ridiculous to think that this would be the case, and yet... Many claim today to be Christians and yet never turn from their sin to follow Christ. There is no abiding in the word as the truth and their lives have not changed. 
you need to hear this clearly this morning. You are either a slave of sin or a son of God. There is no middle ground. And you choose in your rebellion against God to be a slave of sin. A slave of sin is not a son of God and therefore he doesn't remain in the house forever, even as Jesus tells us. So can I ask you, do you feel it? Do you feel the weight? One of the things that we do in our family, and it's a beautiful story if you've ever thought about it, spiritually especially, but we watch every Christmas, Thanksgiving time. It took us forever this go-around to do it, but we watch The Lord of the Rings. How many of you have seen The Lord of the Rings? Remember toward the end of the three movies, the chain around the neck, with the ring pulling and more and more it just became heavier and heavier and heavier. This is an allegory for our sinfulness. As we bear the weight of it, its grip is tight and we dwell in darkness without hope. But that leads to the third thing that Jesus says. Oh, hear this. We are slaves to sin, but we can be set free from that sin. The slave of sin is only set free by Jesus. Jesus, I love this. The end of verse 35 when he says, The Son remains forever, but none of you are sons. (laughs) You're not the offspring of Abraham. You're not the offspring of righteousness at all. But Jesus says, the Son remains forever. And since the Son remains forever, there is one Son. You're looking at Him. (laughs) I'm the only Son of God. And verse 36 says, so if the Son, capital S, sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the good news of the Gospel. There is a Son You know, the story of the prodigal son there doesn't end with the younger brother being a slave. The story of the prodigal son actually ends with the younger brother sitting at the table, having been reinstated as a son by the very choice of the father who pursued him. And if you if you zoom out to the greater context, lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, the picture is that God is pursuing us. Through the sending of His one and only Son, Jesus. The one who lost, in essence, His sonship gets the sonship renewed because the the Father sent His only Son to die in His place. This is the picture. How does that happen? How is it that the only Son of the living God offers us freedom? Not just the guise of freedom, but a real freedom eternal, everlasting freedom. He frees us from our sin in three ways. First, He frees us from the penalty of our sin. He frees us from the penalty of our sin. And He does this through Jesus' work on the cross. The Bible is very clear. Our rebellion against God, our sinfulness against God, 
the very clear and certain wages of that sin is death. And when the Bible describes death, it's not just the physical death that we all will face, by the way, as a result of sin's curse, but a very real death spiritually in a place of separation and torment and judgment and darkness. To reject the light of the world is to receive the darkness of sin for all of eternity and receive God's judgment in a place called hell. This this is frightening news unless Jesus receives that on the cross for us. So listen to Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law of the spirit of life, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. There's the freedom. Set us free from the law of sin and death. All of sin's penalty and all of its effects. Verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How did he do that? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus was made sin by God for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, so that the penalty that we, or the, the, the requirement that we could never meet and the penalty that we fully deserved, Jesus met and took upon Himself so that we could be finally free. The penalty is satisfied in Christ. We need only to put our faith and trust in Christ and what He's done for us on the cross. This is the good news. Jesus died in our place and we are freed from this penalty of divine judgment the second way that jesus frees us from sin is from its power from its power and jesus did this in his resurrection jesus freed us from the power of sin in the resurrection we have victory over sin and death Because Christ has said, those things aren't king, I'm king. (laughs) And he did it in his resurrection. In the most beautiful manifesto on the resurrection in all of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, I love this chapter. Almost every Easter we hear something at some point from this chapter. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? And death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. There's the power, but, big capital letters, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his conclusion. Because Jesus rose from the dead, this is now true. Believer, sin has no power over you any longer. No longer can anything be a place of fear for you because what's the worst that could happen in your life? You could die. But even if you die, you will live again. 
and you will live forever with God, receiving Christ as your supreme treasure. Like how much, how much gooder could this get? You hear me now? This is good news. Don't wallow underneath this, this gray cloud that says, well, I'm probably going to sin today, so why even try? No, Jesus has given you the power over it. So live to the glory of God, which leads to the third way that Jesus does free us. And I love this. Don't neglect this. Don't neglect this, believer. Because not only are we freed from the penalty and the power of sin, we're freed from the persistence of sin. This is where this text is so incredibly helpful. I love this. Because you feel the grip. You feel the weight, don't you? Every day trying so hard to please Jesus and somewhere along the way you simply do fall. But the victory over sin at the cross was final and decisive. It was decisive. So we hold to that positionally and then we go to war every day as a Christian because our battle with sin is not yet over. It's decided, but it is not over. Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand me. This is not a battle that could or will ever be lost. So don't think you go to war with some wondering about whether you're going to win. No, Jesus has already done that decisively. The victory is His, and we just read that. But, on the other hand, don't feel like that as a Christian... Now that the battle is over, you can kind of just hang out on the battlefield and sit down and enjoy your life. Because we are still at war. Make no mistake about it. Jesus has, listen carefully now, Jesus has decisively won the victory. And our resulting freedom the freedom that has been given to those who follow Jesus, that freedom enables us to stand in that victory and to declare war on persistent sin, a daily battle, defeating it in His strength. Every single moment, every single day of our lives, saying, sin, you will not take hold of me because Christ is stronger in me than you are. Every day laying aside sin and weight that so easily ensnares us. Every day declaring war. Today my sin will die. You cannot do that just simply by giving it your best effort. You can only do that if you abide in the Word and prove that you are truly His disciple. We need His Word. And so, if you continue in the Word, abiding in His Word, remaining in His Word, it leads to knowing the truth. And in that truth, the Son... Jesus will set you free. Not just eternally, but daily. And He will free you from pride. 
Not all at once, but eventually. He will free you from lust and unforgiveness and envy and greed and idolatry and addiction and selfishness and gossip and dishonesty and anxiety and fear and anger, depression, doubt, guilt, shame. Free from all of it. It may take a lifetime, but it will all be gone. And that's just the beginning of the list. Because He who the Son sets free is free indeed. What does it mean to be really free? It means that we are set free by the truth of Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, it is our earnest prayer for you, my earnest prayer for you as your pastor, that you would experience this kind of freedom every day. I pray this for my own soul, my own heart. It's my prayer for our our church family, every believer in this room, that God would give you the freedom over these persisting sins. And I know that it's true, it's possible. He will do it because Jesus is the Son of God. Because you have believed upon Him. And by faith in Christ, you've been raised to life. Today you live not in darkness. You live in the light of Christ. You love His Word. This has all happened because you've been born again. Wyatt has been born again and he's going to chase after Jesus now. It's not a result of his own doing, but what Christ has done. And so I rejoice that today I can rest in this, that the Holy Spirit will do this in you. But you must give your all to it. Today you must give everything to laying down that which does not please God and run with all of your hearts to the Father. He's good and you're His son or daughter. Today lay aside every sin and weight that so easily ensnares you and run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, because He, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is victor. Now walk in His victory today. Some of you here this morning, and you, in your heart of hearts, if you were honest, you cannot by any means say, how can I be a slave to anyone? Because you're enslaved to your sin. You've rebelled against God and you've given yourself to another master. And today you need to repent. Before you end up in outer darkness, separated from God, before before it's too late, would you today turn from your sin and trust in Christ? He has done all that is required if you simply would surrender your life, your heart, Today the Bible says, just like Wyatt was, today the Bible says that you can be saved, born again, because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You come this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to stand. This altar is going to be open. It's an opportunity for you to come. 
fall on your face before a holy God. Confess the weight of sin's grip and rejoice in the reality of forgiveness knowing that what Christ has done in your heart is everlasting. So in just a few moments, when we stand together, I want to encourage, if you're a believer in this room, you need to give something over to the Lord, surrender fresh and new today. Would you come and confess that to Him this morning here at this altar? Be reminded that His forgiveness is available to you even as you confess your sin this morning and turn and trust Him once again. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, it is our personal invitation to you and the plea of God that you would come and repent and believe the gospel. So right where you'll be standing, walk out down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to know Christ. And I'll lead you to trust Him today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you to stand with me all across the room. And as I pray, Our altar is open. You come this morning trusting in Christ. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. And we pray, God, that You would help us right now to turn to You with all of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning as Dylan leads us. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.